The world of construction is transforming before our eyes. How we design, plan, quantify and build is changing day to day. But it's never been so easy to connect, share and bring people together. Our industry is reshaping. So how do we develop relationships? How do we overcome our fears? How do we generate business? And how do we ultimately become the best version of ourselves? This is Need to Measure. I'm Nick Donaghy. My guest today is... On this episode of Made to Measure, I am joined by Tara Barnes. Tara is a commercial manager on one of the largest construction projects in Australia. Having studied a Bachelor of Law at Griffith University and after a career in the corporate world, Tara found herself in the dust and dirt working in a huge mine site in Western Australia during the mining boom of 2012. This is an incredibly inspiring story and I find myself feeling energized and motivated listening to Tara's story as she is also an Indigenous Australian female and has spent a lot of time and effort promoting workplace diversity and inclusion within the construction, mining and heavy industry sectors. As an Irishman, it was so inspiring to hear Tara's story of finding out about her Australian Indigenous heritage and how this has helped shape her purpose, life and career moving forward. It was also incredibly inspiring to talk to someone with so much passion and zest for the industry. I know this will certainly motivate and encourage so many people within the sector. I really hope you enjoy the episode. This is Made the Measure. This is Mick Donaghy and my guest today is Tara Barnes. How's it going, Tara? Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. You you keeping well? Yes, beautiful sunny day where I am today, so nothing to complain about here. Nice, nice. So for all the the audience out there, Tara, do do you mind sort of introducing yourself and, and what it is that you do? So for me, I'm a commercial manager. I've been involved in a lot of sort of tier one large infrastructure projects. And I think the, the, the part of my story that will probably be interesting to people is that I am an Indigenous uh, Australian Aboriginal female in construction. So I have had varied experiences working in remote places in Australia and bringing that female approach to things and that cultural heritage approach to things is a really unique and really fun part of what I get to do in the construction industry. Awesome. Well, I'm really interested to talk about that a little further. And Tara, but I guess just to go back to the the very start then, how did you get involved in in construction? I have a law degree, so uh, please no one hold that against me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I... I started out, yeah, so I studied law. I was always really interested in law and wanted to work for like a multinational legal firm. And I graduated and went into federal politics and was working in the sort of transport and main roads area and sort of saw the impact that the large scale infrastructure projects were having on the community. And then at the exact sort of same time, the mining boom was in absolute cracker stages. and. Uh, I was given an opportunity to go to Perth and jump on a mine site and being from the Gold Coast, you know, surfy chick to then next minute in high-vis in the Pilbara, in the iron ore sector, I was like, my goodness, jump at that opportunity. Yeah, that's cool. 
I remember to this day, the first thing I ever did when I was on site was a a plumbing uh, purchase order for the for the boys on site. And I think I turned around and I said, oh, I didn't realise that there are male and female parts when it comes to plumbing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so for me, that was that's sort of like the first memories that I have sort of showing up. Uh, it was a huge transition for me to go from sort of law and politics to just this amazing opportunity to go and see the red, raw country that is Australia and going through that journey myself of my Indigenous heritage and what better place to do that than out in the Pilbara. Incredible. So how did you actually get that sort of opportunity then? How did that come about? Uh, So friends of mine were working for a particular tier one company and they had been reached out to by recruiters and they simply said, do you know anyone else that might be interested in this opportunity? And because I had a law degree and Mm -hmm. at that point in time, the mining boom was literally like, do you have a heartbeat? Great. We'll take you (laughs) and employ you. So it was absolutely just about being open to opportunity and just saying yes and jumping in and just wanting to see what the industry was about. It was all that you heard about in the media. It was all that you sort of were, were hearing about in terms of legislative change, about you know land agreements with the Indigenous people. It was all of the things that I was going through in my personal journey of my cultural heritage discovery. And then it was just so perfect that I had a transferable skill that was my legal background, which meant that I had the ability to work with the guys when they were doing their subcontracting and and their sort of, you know, risk analysis and their legal compliance part. And so for me, it was, again, the transferable skills that you just have innately that you don't stop and think, well, where actually could I apply these? Yeah. You just always get up and go A to B, A to B, A to B. And when you actually stop and you, you look at what you can do with those skills, the sky's the limit, especially in construction. Mm. If you want to be in construction, you can get in. Yeah. It's an amazing industry that celebrates technical trades, legal profession, finance and accounting, HR, media, every single facet of life is there. And it's such an amazing industry. I mean, it's obviously a a very big industry and there are ups and downs with every industry. But for me, I'm just so excited when someone wants to talk about construction because I just I see how many people it can bring into the family that is the the Australian construction industry and it's so amazing uh, I'm feeling pretty inspired already uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, might, I might give up this recruitment game and, and, and see, see what I can see what I can get up to uh, on site Come but, on uh, over. <laughs> so, so I guess then when you arrived in the Pilbara you know having studied law and been in politics and, and you know involved in different um, sectors. What was it like when you arrived? You know, was it kind of like a shell shock or was it everything that you imagined? Or It was metal. I was boiling hot. I was wearing, you know, long sleeves, steel cap boots, a hard hat, glasses. I was like going to the bathroom in a donger. I was yeah. like, right, this is this. And that was just the day-to-day experience of being a human in that space. And then when you sat back and you went, okay, I'm used to going in and doing X, Y, Z in a political space. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sitting here and we've got logistical challenges because of where we are. We're dealing with different cultures, be it the client's culture that they're trying to portray, 
the relationship we're trying to build with our clients, with the local community, looking at the impact that safety has on the industry. Mm. And, you know, you go to work and you think, okay, I'm sitting in an office, you know, how does, how does health and safety apply to me? I, I yeah. understand the guys outside who are working with the big machinery. Absolutely. There's, there's a million things that can go wrong for them, but absolutely no. You, I think that's the biggest shock for me is you say safety becomes everyone's priority and mm-hmm. everyone's responsibility. And I think that for me was probably the biggest thing that I didn't expect to have to be such a participant in. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's nearly like a, a, a mindset, health and safety. It's not just ticking, up, ticking a box and going yeah. through a process. Everyone has to be involved. It takes everyone working towards the same goal to make sure everyone's safe. What were you employed as, Tara? What, what was your so, job at the beginning? I was a junior contract administrator. So basically the entry level uh, that you could go in in the commercial space, largely obviously because I had that legal backing, but um, I remember doing my white card, which is, you know, everyone has to have, I think it's yeah. still a white card now to get in construction. And it was basically a team effort. I'm not going to say that now, but um, <laughs> there, were bu- there were a bunch of guys and we kind of did it as a collective. And yeah, for me, it was a case of, it was the foray straight into, okay, if I want something on site, I need to make sure that that's ordered X amount of weeks in advance because we've got logistical issues here. If we need to import something from overseas, we need to make sure that we're dealing with customs. We need to make sure that we're dealing with import taxes. We need to make sure we're dealing with currency conversions. It was this baptism of fire of just Mm -hmm. so many exciting things that were coming out. You know, people were talking to me about, you know, risk and opportunity and people were talking to me about forecasts and FCACs and there was this realm of acronyms all of a sudden and I was like, oh, okay. What's that about? (laughs) What is this about? And, you know, you from a legal mindset, you become very risk averse. Mm. So your position is always naturally to be like, okay, well, the contract is this mm-hmm. and the risk profile is that. Yeah. And I think the most exciting part of my journey into commercial management has been really to take what black and white legal advice looks like and extract what you need to maintain the protection, but deliver the project and make it user friendly. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, over the sort of last 10 years has been the most exciting part is making what I do in terms of financial cost control and risk mitigation a part of something that everyone on site from the the foreman to the supervisor to the project manager, that they can understand the decision they make on site to let the boys go home early or Mm -hmm. work an extra hour and a half or whatever decision they make on site has a financial impact Mm. and it's being able to provide that support and build relationships and take what is my technical jargon and break that down for them just like when I go to them with a technical question I'm like all right boys let's dumb it down for Tara now (laughs) (laughs) so how long did it take take you to get sort of familiarized with the even the vocabulary and the processes and systems I think it's ever-changing I mean I've done like the mining sector, I've done oil and gas, I've done large sort of, I would say almost rail network type stuff. And each different sector you move through comes with a raft of acronyms. Mm. Um, but for me, I think it probably does take you a good sort of two to three years mm-hmm. to get to the point where you're confidently giving the advice. Yeah. 
uh, like you sort of you, you go through that whole cycle of coming in doing the learning doing the growing doing the development and, and sort of you know start to really learn to stand on your own two feet and actually give advice and and know that you have that skill set now to be able to provide advice and still obviously always in collaboration because there's always one little piece of something you don't know but mm-hmm. i think for me yeah it was probably when you took into consideration the isolation to which my sort of upbringing in construction took place i wasn't in you know a corporate office where you had access to you yeah. know the different sort of learning and development groups and the mentoring groups you were sort of on site doing it real time which i guess you know six to one half a dozen the other is that the better way or is it better to do it in, in an office where you've got access to more people and more support who knows but i had a brilliant time i don't intend to leave anytime soon so i guess love it so, for me <laughs> <laughs> so obviously as you mentioned being being a surfer chick from from the gold coast and going the whole way over to to wa and you know working on this this mind this huge mindset and as you said like, there's so many different things going on and i can just imagine like i've always heard about the mining booms i'm like this sounds so fascinating like i've actually like literally watched documentaries and read all about it i'm like i want to be part of that sometime but like, like obviously with so much going on what, what were the main challenges for you it would have been so much i guess it was a very abrupt change when you are dealing with males in the industry who have actually been doing it for longer than you've been alive. Mm. I mean, you, you are told that quite regularly, yeah. uh, that when you have a contrary opinion or when you, you know, you sort of, you, you, you learn to build relationships to break down those sort of entrenched cultural norms. Mm-hmm. You know, you you do you are you're working with with guys that have been in that industry whose son is probably on site, whose you know son-in-law, whose brother. Like that, you find in the mining industry, especially, everyone will is related to someone or knows someone or they've been in it for so long. Yeah, and so I think as I sort of dealt with the culture shock of being literally on the other side of the country and then the time difference to my friends and. I think it was just the, the, the virulent structure that has to be in place. So you must be ready to leave at this time. You must pack your lunch. And I think that was crazy for me. You pack your lunch at four in the morning. I mean, who's hungry at four in the morning? Yeah. And then, but You'd it, be it surprised. All, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just, I mean, because you're away from your family, you build such unbelievable connections with people like i'm still to this day friends with most of the the guys and girls from my first ever site yeah because it's just it's such a learning experience it's so isolating you know you go through a father's day you go through a birthday it's somebody's child's first day at god knows what Mm -hmm. and because you're the only thing that that each other have the camaraderie and the closeness and just the genuine mateship that comes is I think what I've found to be the most shocking. Mm -hmm. Just in a good way, in a positive way? In an absolutely amazing way. Like you think about it, you're doing FIFO, so you know, you're on different rosters to people, you're there for you might be there for two weeks and then home for one week, or you might be there for three weeks, depending on what rosters you were on. And so it's that it's also that thing where you get used to coming back to work, knowing you left a piece of work, it's progressed. Yeah, you have true. no idea what's happened. You have no influence over what's happened. You did the best handover you could, 
but someone's going to pick that up and probably go left when you wanted it to go right. And you have to be okay with that. Mm, I, I never actually thought of that. You know, I, I've, I've never thought that someone's near essentially taking over your road while you're away. Yeah. It's incredible. Or well, something happens and you know the one fact that no one that was on site of the day knew and it became a huge issue and you're like, guys, if you would just phoned me. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, no, no, no. When you're not here, you need to let it go. Yeah. And so to- it was that on-off mi- mindset that you had to have where you have to have faith in the relationships that you have with the people that you're there with mm-hmm. to know that you can actually come home, be at home with your family at home, knowing that your family at work is going to keep it going because they've got the best interests of the project and, and everyone involved. So it's, it's, it's a, that's a big one. I think that people kind of don't uh, in the office space kind of really resonate when they do FIFO. I mean, obviously the guys on site out there, you know, they've done 600 meters of a trench. They go home, obviously if they came back and there was only 600 meters of that trench dug possible problem in a week, <laughs> but I mean, it, it is it's the same sort of thing, you know, guys on the on site have, you know, there's always going to be like the A crew that somehow manages to have the most motivated, most productive guys. And it's about how do you balance that? Do you split those, that crew up and sprinkle all your best guys across both shifts? Or do you mm-hmm. have your A team that gets heaps done and then your B team is there really just tidying up? And there's so many intricacies and, and just enjoy ways to take enjoyment out of, of the organization of construction that I think people miss because they just get so oh, we're late or oh, yeah, it's over budget or oh, what you know, like all the big comments that people make. But there's so many intricacies that are so beautiful and interesting to, to observe in the industry that people I think maybe miss out on. No, I, I love it. Um, and, 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 and I guess then when, when, as you mentioned, Tara, so you, there was obviously people working on the site who may have you, you would have had to work with or had to have interaction with who literally had been working longer in the mind than you had been alive. How, how do you deal with that? Like, well, how do you get around that? I think you just have to be super respectful. I mean, for me, because I was brand new, I sort of, you know, didn't say boo for a while. And that was my tactic was go in, learn, don't go in and be like, well, I've got a law degree and I come from this and you need to listen to me because I've got my own set of reasons for me it was like okay go in be respectful of this industry's tradition and then learn the skill set so that you you're competent and people will respect you because you've taken the time to learn and understand and then go into those types of conversations listening to the real underlying reason as to why somebody is coming at you with that brick wall of i know better i've been doing this for years and quite often it's a little bit of fear on their part that, you know, the industry is evolving. There are new technologies. There are mm. younger people. And so if you can stop and understand that there is an element of fear, mm. I mean, sometimes there's just belligerence, but, you know, you can't win them all. But there is this genuine sort of fear of the new, fear of the change, that if you can kind of try and understand that without projecting that in a conversation and you can go in really understanding where someone's coming from when they're throwing that in your face, then mm. you can you can tackle a lot. Be it, you know, I'm female, I'm young, I'm new, I'm indigenous, I'm from the Gold Coast. What would you know? Like there is a lot of time you're spending with these people. It's literally 24 hours a day. So some people I've worked with, you don't speak to them till after 10 in the morning because before that, not really a thing. I mean, 
I can understand people. that. <laughs> it's like me, yeah. but I, before I ha- but if I haven't eaten, it's, uh, yeah, don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think it's just really, again, I think I'm just genuinely fascinated by observing people and trends and, and that I think it, it's this whole community of construction that I think is just so addictive when you get in it and you see it working well. I mean, it, it can be horrible. Mm. I, I mean, like I, I've definitely had my fair share of people trying to tear me down because I have, as I've progressed through the industry, sort of really taken a, a sharp focus myself in promoting Indigenous female inclusion in the greater construction industry. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't come as a walk in the park when you see me and I'm quite tall and quite often have blonde hair and blue eyes and I'm not the first person that if you said in this office there is an Indigenous member of staff Mm-hmm. that people would naturally go up to and say that it's me. And so I've had to face almost reverse racism from the traditional, the traditional owner movement and the, the sort of greater Indigenous movement within the industry, seeing me as an advocate for that promotion, mm-hmm. for that inclusion, for that increased outcome. I had to work twice as hard to bring on not only the, the industries change, but also to gain the genuine support of my culture. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really interesting ride for me to take it again slowly and really come to a point of advocacy after after a while, not showing up day one saying, hey, right, I want to change the world. Yeah, I understand that. I guess, what, what was it like then coming from this more sort of corporate type of background, going into a real grunty sort of male-dominated environment as an Indigenous female? I mean, it's definitely been, I mean, over the 10 years, it's just been astonishing. The industry itself has grown up so much in terms of respect for your colleagues, be it male, female, elder, younger, the language, the attitudes and the comments on day one don't happen now. Mm -hmm. It's not even that they've been phased out. They don't happen anymore. It's no longer, you know, the the sexist comments, the, oh, okay, you're female, well, you're obviously here as the cleaner or, you know, get me a cup of tea, doll, will you? And all of that sort of stuff that was just such a closed industry. The mining industry was such a closed industry. You know, it was, it was basically, it was an exclusive use of the men. And so I, I don't genuinely think that it was ever a really intentional negative space. I think that the inclusion of females and now to the extent that females are in manager roles, engineering roles, technical roles, they're out in the field driving the trucks, they're out of the field laboring. I mean, there is not, there is not a sector of construction that is not open to females now should we want to jump in there mm-hmm. and i think just watching that progression over 10 years is is mind blowing i'm not going to say that i think that the indigenous journey has been as quick or is as progressed i still think that there is a lot of work to do to get the interaction with indigenous culture to be business as usual mm-hmm. i think unfortunately 
the industry has almost been mandated by the contracts now, mm-hmm. whereas I think the inclusion of females was definitely done more organically and now the Indigenous engagement is almost done because a head contract says that there's a requirement to have X percentage of a spend with an Indigenous company or you need to report on your Indigenous engagement in terms of trainees, apprentices and so on. And so I think fair play to the industry. Mm -hmm. It has seen that the progression and the welcoming and the opening hasn't been as widespread as, as gender diversity. And so they have found a way to mandate it within the industry by bringing it into the contracts. And so it's about this real teasing out of, it's not just a contractual requirement. Mm-hmm. This should be business as usual for everyone in the industry. The more diverse you have people, ages, cultures, technical skills, the better the outcome you get. Mm-hmm. You sit there and you have you and I having this conversation. Just It's, it's just the two opinions. You bring a third person in and we're going to find out some things that we weren't even thinking about. Yeah. And you do that in construction with diversity and this is how innovation is made. This is how change comes about. This is how the industry becomes better. Mm-hmm. This, is how the, this is how society sees construction, not just mining, but construction as a way to pull us out of the current economic situation that we're in because of the pandemic. The amount of federal and state investment in infrastructure to pull us back out of whatever's going to come out of, out of COVID is such an exciting time because we've bought the, we're, we're bringing the females in, we're bringing the cultures in, and we just need to push that little bit more to make it business as usual, to make mm-hmm. it comfortable for people, to, to make it not a difficult conversation to have, to make it so that people aren't afraid to say nothing because they're terrified of saying the wrong thing. I mean, obviously, there are some very, very obvious things that would be the wrong thing and they would be negative and derogatory. But to just ask questions, to want to know more, to want to understand how a piece of construction or infrastructure is impacting the the traditional owners of the land to which the site is on, all of these types of things, the, the connection to country and the value that country has to Indigenous people, these are things that if we're bringing into daily operation of construction, it's just going to be a better industry, a more exciting industry, and a longer lasting industry, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's, so, it's so interesting to, to hear your, your viewpoints on, on that. How, how, did, how do you think you make that happen? You know, how do you think you sort of interconnect to create this business as usual, sort of, not scenario, or, 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 but essentially, how do you, how do you create so it is just normal? There are so many beautiful networks in the Indigenous space across the country. I mean, jump on LinkedIn and look at it. You've got Indigenous Businesses Australia, Supply Nation. You, like, there are mentoring programs to bring school kids into, into interfacing with the construction industry early to, to, to close the gap between you know, high school dropout and high school completion. There are ways, like Supply Nation is a perfect example of literally it's a database of Indigenous businesses. So if you are going to tender, you can go straight to Supply Nation and say, we're going for an Earthworks package. Do you have anybody that we can put in our tender pool 
that is an Indigenous-owned business, Mm -hmm. straight away, you are opening the doors, creating opportunities, you're building relationships. Even if that doesn't result in, in that contract being awarded to that company now, it leads to, okay, well, they were in the tender pool and so was company X, and all of a sudden, those two companies are doing a joint venture, and we've just created more employment, more engagement for the Indigenous community. Yeah. There are so many beautiful, exciting things that are happening. I mean, companies can get on board and support NADOC week in a respectful and traditional way. People can start to bring in acknowledgements and welcome to country ceremonies when projects are starting up. People can create networks for their Indigenous staff so that staff can feel supported and connected within organisations. All of these all of these things can become business as usual as long as you break down that, well, it's a contracted mandate standpoint, so we will do it because the contract says so. Mm-hmm. And I think that attitude is starting to change because I think the rewards are there for companies and for projects when we have that genuine engagement. I think that the relationships and the learning and the outcomes just improve off the charts when you have that genuine engagement. And I think it's about just asking the question. The way that you get this to be business as usual is you get people from any part of a business just saying, hey, diversity and inclusion, is there something we're doing here? Hey, I'm interested in that. What does that mean to our business? Do Mm -hmm. we have a policy? Jump on intranets. Are there policies? If there's not policies, ask questions. What is our position on diversity and inclusion? And it's not just Indigenous Australians. It's all religions. It's all cultures. And it's about just sitting there and not just going to work and saying, all right, I'm a commercial manager. Today I have a meeting with a client and I need to discuss a $100 million variation. That's all I'm doing today. Mm-hmm. It's about coming in and saying, hey, I saw on whatever TV program or a podcast or hey, I heard Tara Barnes rabbiting on about inclusion yeah. on, on Major Measure. How about we, uh, how about we all grab, grab a coffee and have a discussion about what diversity and inclusion means for us? Yeah. See, I, I, I'm like so fascinated by this because I recruit for organisations and like I, I see the, I don't know whether it's racism or it's, you know, it's just being blinded by by stupidity in some re- in some ways and but some companies will overlook amazing people by just like even seeing the name of a seat on the CV and they'll have an impression of someone and it frust- it frustrates the absolute life out of me and it recent recently there was an individual and I'm not mentioning any companies or names or whatever but one particular individual I sent the CV as his is his name okay so where he comes from it was his full name i sent it and never got a reply and within two weeks i was so frustrated because i knew he was the right person for the road so i, I changed his, his name so i shortened it down with his permission i changed it to something that sounded a little bit more westernized in, in some respect and they contacted me within like 15 minutes and i'm like I can't, I can't believe this you know and and it's something that i want to try and I want to try and help educate my clients and, you know, but it's, how do we do that? I think it's exactly, exactly what you did. 
you privately with whomever in that organization is involved at a senior level in the decision making process you say look i just want to have a quick chat with you i'm not i'm not trying to be combative or confrontational at all but i'm simply saying i've had a, an experience with your company recently and this is what happened mm. uh, how could could you have a discussion with me about how that sits within your company's framework in terms of diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. and just it, it's asking the question like when bad behavior occurs it's about sitting back and saying okay if i walk past that that's the behavior i accept if i just say okay fabulous that was that was terrible but if you then just walk past that behavior you're accepting it as mm-hmm. well that's okay it's not your job to obviously go to that company and and hold that person account and and you know make the people that made those decisions personally accountable but you absolutely could have an organic conversation where you say hey i just wanted to understand because i served you in a recruitment space what your diversity and inclusion policy is mm-hmm. so that when i'm recruiting for you i can work within that framework so i'm supporting your company's values and i'm giving you the best candidates for what you need Mm-hmm. straight away someone in that conversation will feel about 3 feet tall mm. but it's about targeted conversations that are about referring back to company's current standards and it's about conversations at levels where you can affect and you can see change when something like that happens it's really about getting to the senior level when you genuinely just want to have an open conversation i feel like that can occur at any level when you just want to say what's your understanding of diversity or do you know anything about first nation people or you know what does your company do about traditional acknowledgments to first nations people like those types of conversations you can have mm-hmm. in terms of when you're engaging with your touch points and you're on a call and you've got an extra 2 or 3 minutes i think it's about bringing genuine questions that you have as a person into a a workplace conversation mm-hmm. and that's how you you know the first few times you you do it you kind of get like oh what's going on here yeah i uh, i mean i remember the first uh sort of welcome to country ceremony that i held for a project and it was a a a political a political project so straight away i had people i have never seen from senior from from senior levels of the the joint venture that we were a part of showing up to site and not just showing up because they were told that someone from the minister's office was going to come but genuinely following up for days and days with me afterwards saying you know what's that mob from you know what did it mean when when uncle perry said this you know i'm i'm just still so affected in a positive way by what we did there and it it just creates a ripple effect mm. when you sh- when you show someone something or you ask a question or you make them feel okay for them to ask a question mm-hmm. you know some like quite often someone I'll go to someone and be like hey I'm a proud Wiradjuri woman, you know, like I'm I'm from, you know, down in in New South Wales, like my mob's from down there, you know, have you like have you got anyone in in your space that is from a mob that could be near mine or hey, let's have a chat about it or and you know, sometimes people will be like, look, love to, but I'm really busy. Yeah. And and that's fine. Probably don't, you know, Ten, like the day before months end close financial reporting is due walk up to everyone in the office and be like oh hey <laughs> by the way <laughs> what do you think about this i mean it's yeah. about but i think the thing is you just you bring a topic up to people and people realize that you can have a conversation and you know i've had people come up to me and say right what's the right name is it clan is it tribe is it mob and i'm like 
just ask a question like that yeah. and, and that starts. You say, you know, for me, I say mob. And I said, but tribe is not incorrect. So you can say tribe and, you know, it's not wrong and it's not going to be offensive. And, you know, I appreciate you coming and, and you know, checking in. And that's, that's a, a conversation that wouldn't have otherwise happened if, if, you know, I didn't sort of put my hand up and say, hey, I've kind of come up through the ranks of, you know, multi-billion dollar government funded infrastructure projects now. And I sit here as an Indigenous female, as an advocate for inclusion, as an advocate for reconciliation. And if you want to chat to me about it, come chat to me about it. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite interesting because where, where I come from, I come from the north of Ireland, and Northern Ireland went through this you know, long history of one part of the community fighting with the other part of the community. And I think it was about 15 or 20 years ago, all businesses came together to agree that there would be fair employment and representation of the those areas so whereby the companies would agree to try and hire whether it be one person who comes from one type of religion just to try and make it a little bit more fair but what it's done for people like me now is that because i grew up and and worked then for six seven years with those people from the, the other side of the community as per se like it, it just, it just, it's just normal, you know. Like they're just my friends. I don't even think of them as oh, they're Protestants or oh, they're Catholics or whatever. Like they're just, they're just, they're just the same as me, you know. And like yeah. that's the, that's the change that, I guess, what you're trying to achieve is that it's just normal, you know. It doesn't, but it shouldn't be. Oh, we're still trying to tick this box, or we're trying to fulfill this piece of the contract or legislation, but. Like, it's, it's just become normal as such. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an ongoing process. I mean, there have been many a time where I've been literally standing next to someone and been physically, not pushed hard, but, you know, kind of promoted forward from a, a group of people and said, this is our Indigenous commercial manager. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, and this is our senior commercial manager. I was like, are we, is this a thing? Are we pushing everyone forward to sort of say, and this is what you do and this is what you do? But yes. it was really because the client at the time that I was working for has a very strong emphasis on Indigenous engagement. And so my team was basically trying to score points with me by physically singling me out to celebrate the fact that I am in in the senior leadership team. And I mean, it's an amazing feat to be in that position. And I do not at any point in any day take for granted the fact that I am so unbelievably fortunate to be able to be in the position that I'm in, have gone through the journey that I'm going through and I'm so excited to see where I can go next and what I can do next and to have conversations like this with you and have, you know, you be interested in it. And I mean, our lives would not have otherwise crossed and this is a whole audience. This is a whole audience that probably, you know, wouldn't take the time to to go and Google something to do with First Nations people or to go Mm -hmm. into work and say, what's my, what's the policy on, on social inclusion here? Yeah, and I th- I think that that's just that for me is is just in leaps and bounds so exciting, and I try and focus on those times and not the times when you've kind of been in a room because there is a requirement to have two percent indigenous employment under a contract, or mm-hmm. it does look very good to have an indigenous female sort of as part of a advisory group or as part of a a meeting or representation at a particular mm-hmm. event. 
But can I ask a really stupid question? And I know that this, you're, you're, you're prompting people to ask questions, so I'm going to ask a question. <laughs> so I guess, how do you trace your heritage in terms of, and how do you know whether you're, you come from an indigenous mob or, or tribe, as you say? Is that just from so, your, your family connections? For me, uh, mine's kind of a surreal, a surreal coming to culture. I was in year seven at primary school mm-hmm. and the school said to me, do I wish to identify as an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander? And my parents had split up when I was about three months old and my culture comes from my dad's side of the family and I didn't really have much to do with him. Mm-hmm. So I rang him and I remember to this day, I was like, hey, are we Aboriginal? <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And I was kind of, I was like, it just, it was, I had literally grown up to what, 12, 12 years old. And because of the way that I was raised, the way that my family just progressed and, and grew up, up and, you know, my mum did the most amazing job of the world and she's my absolute hero. But as a single mum who was in one area and my dad and my whole family and were out in Maury and Ningen and I just, you know, I didn't have that physical connection with them. I didn't see them. I didn't see the characteristics of my grandparents that were very distinctly Indigenous. But when the school came and said, right, you're Indigenous, like, do you wish to identify? Mm -hmm. It started this amazing journey for me. And I think that's why I feel so blessed because it wasn't, I didn't grow up in a large Indigenous family. I'm an only child. I don't have brothers and sisters. It's always just been my mum and I. I have a very supportive, larger larger extended family now that I've sort of started down the journey of researching where my family is from. And there are, I mean, in my family alone, there are some people who have just done some absolutely beautiful work with where we're from and mapping, you know, and creating Facebook groups to just upload photos of mm-hmm. old relative of relatives and of significant, you know, places of interest and and the literature that is around now that if you want to learn about your culture, there is no wrong way to do it. If you want to look at it from an art perspective and get involved in art, music and dance, mm-hmm. story, language, community, go and physically return to where your mob is from and trace those steps. There are so many beautiful ways that you can find out where you're from and, and who your mob is. Mm-hmm. And so when, when you were obviously essentially just a young girl, like, how did how did you get you get this news and then it, I guess it just uh, it must set off a, a whole sort of case of self discovery and um, you know purpose and connection. It must essentially change change your life in some ways. It's very funny because I was always I would always as a child remember I would go and sit outside and I would sit on the ground if I was ever like angry, sad. I don't think you can say anxious as a child, but I guess you can. And I would go and sit on the ground and that would just calm me down. Mm-hmm. And I would, and it, there's, there's such a huge connection to country mm-hmm. in the indigenous culture that gives, that gives purpose, that gives guidance, that gives meaning. And mm-hmm. before I was even aware of my cultural heritage, the fact that I would literally connect with country to bring myself back down to ground myself to get out of emotional heightened states there are so many things like that that once you're given an extra layer of facts e.g 
you're of Indigenous heritage, those types of things, mm-hmm. you, you understand were not just because they weren't just, you know, oh, just in case or just because or a random fact. They were because it makes sense. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, oh that's the reason, uh, you know, yeah. I'm interested in this. Or I, I guess that's where you're boiling from. I yeah. love that. I actually, I really love that. It's amazing. Um, I guess if there, if there was someone, you know, in your position, similar sort of position, 12, 13 years old, gets this type of news, what, 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 what type of advice would you give? Just be open to it. A hundred percent dependent on circumstance. Like if someone has withheld information from you or for me, it was very organic. It was, it was, there was no confrontation involved in it. It was a very, very positive experience. And so for me, I grew up in a little town, Nambucca Heads in Northern New South Wales. And Nambucca Heads has a beautiful indigenous community. There are some very, very strong indigenous families there. So lucky for me, I grew up in a small town that had a very strong and genuine Indigenous connection and presence. So I had people. I could go on, you know, I went on cultural enrichment camps with schools. I went to different events around cultural importance in the local area. You know, I got to eat a witchetty grub, which, you know, I feel like that's a rite of passage. And, you know, you, you understand some beautiful things and you make mistakes. I've, I, I mean, I was called whitey by the school kids because I was not of dark skin color and i remember going oh my god i'm brand like i'm brand new to this Mm. and already i i don't fit in here i'm i'm different to where i'm trying to to learn and, and, and understand but you know i just spoke to the teachers and got the support and just kept going and mm. gave myself permission to do it wrong yeah. I mean, even now, I, I will be sitting, I'll be sitting in forums where I'm asked to give an opinion based on, you know, the Indigenous perspective. And I say, look, apologies, I can't give you an Indigenous perspective. I can give you my perspective. Mm. And, you know, I will constantly touch base with my mentors, with my network and, you know, see what's happening in different areas of Australia, different industries, you know people who have different levels of connection with traditional owners and people who, and you know, tribes that are still living very connected to the land. Mm-hmm. And it's about building a network so that you don't have to have all the information yourself just because I'm indigenous. Doesn't mean that I know it all. Yeah. Of um, course, yeah. And to be, to be okay to say, I am here to advocate and I, I like, and I am here to give a voice. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to ask questions myself because I don't have answers. Yeah. And to be okay with if someone says to you like, oh, this particular group of people from this particular area did this particular thing. What do you think that means? And mm-hmm. I go, no idea. How about we look into it together? Yeah. I'll, I'll ring some of my mates and see if they know something or. Yeah. I love it. I think if, if it's, it's a constant education every day, no matter who you are, where you're from, you know, and, and that, that makes so much sense. You know, you, I was actually just thinking, you, you know, you, you're, we're all humans, you know, you're not, you're not just, you're not a female, you're not, you know, even though I know what you, you are, but you're a human yeah. first, you know, like you're, uh, we're not just uh, bring, bring the, you know, indigenous person in here to take the box or whatever. That's, that's, that's human person. They have the same, they're made up of the same things that we're, that everyone's made up of. and 
I really am glad that you said that. And um, I guess for 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 you, Tara, what advice you know if there's say a female or indigenous females or just anyone out there even who wants to get into construction, what what advice would you give? Just be open to every experience. I think there is so much information out there. And there are so many different ways. It's much like, you know, when you graduate high school and you're like, right, I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a lawyer and you don't get the marks to get in. Mm-hmm. That's not it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the first option didn't work. Let's look at the second option. Let's look at the third option. Let's look at the fourth option. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you don't have to think, okay, I'm going to walk into construction tomorrow and I've got this amount of money in my head and I've got this role in my head and that's all it's going to be. I mean, great. If you've got that vision, perfect. Mm -hmm. But there are many ways to get there. Mm -hmm. And there are so many, if you know someone in construction, ask them how how they got there. Ask questions. Mm -hmm. You know, jump online, do research, find a company that aligns with your values. Look at the website of a company that aligns with your values and see what projects they've got coming up. If it's, you want to, you know, move or travel, if that's, if that's important to you, then look for jobs that, that are having that sort of space. You know, if it's, you want to work on a job that's hugely important to the local area you live in, then go and make that your unique pitch to that company. Mm-hmm. Enthous- enthusiasm is the most important thing when you want to get into construction. I literally was given my last job based on the enthusiasm I had for the project. After I joined the team, they said, well, you were just that excited about being part of that project that we were like, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, to be honest, I 100% agree with everything that you've said there. Construction is one of those industries that you can get in into so many, via so many different avenues. And it's all about your, the hunger and fire in the belly that you have. And as you said, your first job is not always going to be your dream job and you might end up doing something that's completely the opposite end of what you wanted to do, but you might end up just absolutely loving it and it can take you on to a whole different career path and you end up being this person that you never thought you would be and you love it, you know? Exactly. What, 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 do, you, what do you love about our, our, our sector? I know there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm in, 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 in the answer of this question. I think for me, it's just been a perfect journey that has allowed me to bring awareness to everyone, be it to bring financial awareness and the impacts of, of you know, decision-making and bringing, and bringing the jargon of cost control and commercial management to a supervisor who turns around and says to me, I've been doing this for 25 years and absolutely no one told me mm-hmm. that when I sign those day worksheets with an extra half an hour because I've asked the boys to go and do something they could have done tomorrow, I'm actually, I've cost the job a hundred grand over the course of 12 months. No one's ever told me that. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Amazing. When I have a young female engineer come up to me and say, you just spoke at an international women's day event and you've given me the confidence to go back to my team and speak to them about my culture because she was a, she was from a particular culture that's not Australian based. And I mm-hmm. had spoken about my journey and she said, I'm going to go back and talk to my team about my culture. Now I feel like I can do that now. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, 
I've worked with small Indigenous companies to take them through the rigmarole that is pre-qualification with, with tier one companies and bringing smaller organisations into the fold and giving them exposure to what, it, what, it need, what you need to be involved in construction. There's just so many ways to give and learn and it never, ever, ever, ever stops. And that's what I mm. think is the best part. I, I, that, that's honestly one of the things I love about construction as well. Like you can kind of combine so many of your interests into what you do. And, you know, the majority of good companies out there will really support you towards that. You know, if it's something like, you know, promoting an area or, you know, if it's maybe something like mental health and construction or there's something that you're super passionate about that that's going to really help move the company forward, but also help, you know, in, engage them with, different races or nationalities or become more diverse or whatever it is like it's construction offers that and i don't know like if there are many other industries that do maybe i'm just biased but like if you were working in corporate finance world i don't know if, if you, they would give you the microphone just as quickly you know um so that's something that i love that i love too but i, I guess what what's to finish off and our last question then tara what, what, what's one thing that you're that you're looking forward to you're excited about I am really excited about what COVID is doing to our industry. Oh, really? <laughs> I personally, I think that the level of flexibility that is now in construction and the, the ability to work from home and the way construction just adapts, mm. like, you know, it's a mining boom that's gone. It's a huge push for, you know, union uh, union movements and what the union is doing and then that never goes but you know that's that's a thing and then it's mental health and uh, and taking care of our members and and really making sure we have a, a happy and safe and supported workspace that's amazing it's it's now covid and what's come through with covid and and it's being a part of the the, the central driving force of what can possibly bring us back to an economically stable space and also then allowing people to work from home and still be productive. And it's, it's this constant flexibility of the construction industry and just what's next is literally limitless, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what COVID has really shown the construction industry is it's we can genuinely adapt to pretty much anything as long as we stay true to the values that bring us together as an industry. Well, that's perfectly rounded up, Tara. I love that. If there's anyone out there who, who wants to reach out or who wants us to connect in with you, is, is the best way to connect via LinkedIn? Yeah, jump on. Send me a, send me a question. Send me your, what are you doing, you crazy person? You don't have the right <laughs> to think about this. I'm happy to take anyone's opinions, questions, or have a chat with anyone. Well, this has definitely been one of the most in inspiring podcasts I've done. So thank you so much for, for taking part, Tara. No, it's been so good. I mean, thank you so much. It's, it's an amazing opportunity and I, uh, I'll always jump on board to talk about Indigenous females in construction. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Made to Measure. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is the only podcast in the world that focuses on the niche area of construction costing. Therefore, as an independent podcast, your support is invaluable. Please like, share, screenshot, give a review, or just tell your friends and colleagues about the show. The more people that know about the podcast, the better the guests that we can bring to you, and the better the content you will consume. Thank you for joining me. I'm Mick Donaghy, and this was Made to Measure. <laughs>